is one of those things that a lot of people have knowledge about, but very few people practice. Prayer is one of those things that a lot of people have knowledge about, but very few people practice. If you look at the graph or the equation, whatever you want to call it, and you look at it, you will see that we have a lot of knowledge about prayer. Almost all the scriptures that I'm going to share with you this morning are scriptures that you've probably read before, and many of you have probably preached and taught to others before. But my question to you this morning is, are you practicing them? As we continue with our foundation series, I'm sharing with you this morning on the subject entitled, Understanding Prayer. And the goal of this message is to inculcate the discipline of prayer. And what we're dealing with today is just foundations. Is that okay? It's just foundations. This is a foundational message. After we've done this series, at some point towards the end of the year, I'm going to do a whole series, School of Advanced Prayer. SOAP. School of Advanced Prayer. How many of you would like that? All right. But today is the foundation. And we build on foundations. Amen. All right. Um, for those of you who think you're strong prayer warriors, what I always like to do is to read a few things from ZT for Mom. Remember, I read from him uh, last week, I think it was. And he's talking here about signs of backsliddenness in prayer. Point number 18. You feel sleepy during prayer, but if prayer is stopped, your sleep departs at once. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's the enemy. But sometimes it's also lack of discipline. It's the flesh. Number 19, you normally lack words during prayer, but during ordinary conversations, you're eloquent and full of ideas. You know those people, when you say, can you now pray? They've got nothing to say. But straight after the prayer meeting, they're controlling and dominating the conversation. What is it in us that causes us to be a people where we've got lots to say to other people, but we can't communicate with God? Number 20, prayer alone is uninteresting. You prefer to pray with someone else. You are out of touch with the Lord, but want to be in touch with the person with whom you are praying. During revival, a person is, in general, mostly at home praying to God alone. He then prays with another person or other persons as an overflow of that which has transpired between God and him. Some people come to prayer meetings because they just like people and being around people. And when they're in that prayer meeting, they're not really praying much. They're just riding on the prayers of other people. Let's be honest. That's why one of the things we always say to our prayer leaders is, make sure that you're creating an environment where people actually pray. Amen? Because sometimes people become spectators. You know what I'm talking about. It's one of the most frustrating things when you're leading prayer and you're trying to get other people to pray, but they're just spectators. Another one. When you are praying alone, it is as if you were talking to a wall or to emptiness and your own words seem to come back to you. No one is laughing. 
You feel very tired during prayer, even after a good rest. Prayers are vague, so that if answers come, you would not know. There are no preparations for prayer meetings or prayer sessions. Before prayer sessions, there's preoccupation with all the non-essentials of life, so that you are tired at the beginning of the prayer session and not able to concentrate. Normally, people prepare for the things that they consider important. I'll end with this one, for there are many. It's like that guy, Legion, who had many demons. I'm, where, I'm called Legion, for, for we are many. Okay, so there are many points here. Prayers are just repetitions of religious phrases or words that have been heard, even if they are the words of people of the Bible. For example, a carnal believer with no love or desire for the Lord can say, Come, Lord Jesus. This is biblical, but it is coming from a life that is out of tune with the Bible. How many of you are in a place where you're saying, Lord, deliver me from a backslidden state when it comes to my prayer life? How many of you feel convicted right now? And it doesn't matter what level of prayer you're at, but there's something in you saying, I need more. There's something in you saying there are more levels. Come on, no one is going to judge you. All right. So let's talk about understanding prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 to 14, it says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I find the scripture so powerful because it says here, And you will seek me and find me. Why will you find me? When you search for me with all your heart. You see, prayer is about seeking after God. A lot of people want to find God, but they're not willing to seek after him. So what is prayer? There are four main pillars I want to share with you. First one, prayer is spending time in conversation with God. Prayer is spending time in conversation with God. A conversation is two-way. How many of you struggle when there's just a one-way conversation with someone? It's not a conversation, is it? So prayer is not just about me saying things to God. It's also about me listening to the Lord and hearing what he wants to say. Amen? I struggle when my children only speak to me when they want something from me. I want to have a conversation with them. And one of, the, one of the signs of maturity in prayer is you don't just pray when you want something from God. There are many people in church settings, you'll notice that when they've had their breakthrough, you don't see them anymore. And you know what that does? It actually exposes them. It shows them the nature of their spirituality. It shows that they were only seeking God for what they wanted. Then when they got what they wanted, they faded away. B. Prayer is the act of beseeching God earnestly for someone or something. You're beseeching God earnestly, and that's to do with supplications very often. You're earnest about it. The Bible tells us in the book of James that it's the earnest, heartfelt, fervent prayer of a righteous man that makes tremendous power available. It's not just prayer that makes power available. 
It's the earnest, heartfelt, fervent prayer. In the Amplified, it says that way, right? Of a righteous man that makes tremendous power available. How earnest are you in your prayers? How much of your emotions come into your prayers? My son Samuel wants a particular game, and it's a game that involves being purchased on his PS4, and, and his brothers also want it. I yielded last night, and I got it for them, right? It was those online things that you can get. But what was interesting was that, that in, during that evening, during the course of the evening, he just wouldn't leave me alone. He was earnest in his request. You know, Scripture talks about the widow who keeps knocking, and she gets her answer because the other person is just tired of the knocking. So I'm like doing something in the kitchen, and Samuel is just standing, so dad, when? <laughs> I'm like trying to do something else. It's like everyone, it's like Samuel is there. Samuel is there. He was earnest about it, and as I thought about it this morning, it says something about prayer. My question to you is, how desperate are you for God to move? Are you listening this morning? God does not just respond to your prayers. He responds to your earnest nature. He responds to fervency in prayer. He responds to how heartfelt you are in your prayer. Amen? And this is not about personality. Some people have got this thing of like, I'm not that type of person. I'm not the expressive type. No, you have people who are usually shy when it comes to human relations. But when it comes to God, they're spiritually aggressive. My friends, when you are praying from your spirit man, very often you bypass certain dimensions of the soul. So it's got nothing to do with personality type. And that's why you can have someone who's usually extremely quiet and they sit in a corner and they don't want to talk too much with people. But when they're engaging with God and when the Holy Spirit takes over their prayer, it like, it's like they become another person. See, prayer involves communion with God and a recognition of his presence. You know what that is? It's the fear of the Lord. There's a particular... Preacher, televangelist, who fell many years ago, and he ended up in prison. And a certain man of God went and interviewed this guy, this well-known guy, and asked him a question and said, at what point did you stop loving God? And you know what the guy's response was? He said, I didn't stop loving God. I never stopped loving him. I stopped fearing him. Are you following this morning? And you see here, this point number C is prayer involves communion with God and a recognition of his presence. We're going to go deeper into this just now. But when you're spending time with the Lord in prayer, it's not an ordinary situation. There's some reverence that you give him. You revere the Lord. And many people think revering the Lord is just about honoring him. It's way more than that. If you actually study reverence in scripture, you'll see that uh, as you unpack it, it's also to do with the terror of the Lord. I'm a bit concerned because you see certain videos on online 
of certain prayer meetings, certain gospel concerts and so on, and you see people up on stage gyrating. You all know what gyrating is, right? I can't act it. I'm not, definitely not going to act it out. And you can see these people full of demons of lust, and they're doing that, but they're singing gospel songs. What filth? The presence of God. Do you know that that's how you reap judgment into your life? People like saying, don't judge, don't judge. Go and look in scripture at the number of places the judgment of the Lord manifests. Can I go there, please? Be very careful what you do when you are here. Be very careful what you do when you are in an environment of corporate worship and prayer. Be very careful. Because the glory of God can be a great blessing to you, but it can also destroy you. Why do you think what happened to Ananias and Sapphira happened to them? You know Ananias and Sapphira, right, from the book of Acts, when they were lying to the Holy Spirit and they dropped down dead. Why did that happen? Because the glory level was high. In environments when the glory level increases, my wife was seeing things in the spirit earlier on, and when we were worshiping, she saw this, this circle. Uh, it was almost like an open heaven type of thing, and the circle and was growing bigger and bigger and bigger into heaven the more we worshiped. Thank you, Desire, for leading us in that song, just pressing in, pressing in concerning the battle, uh, the Lord, um, Jehovah is your name, pressing in, pushing. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes there's a certain level of glory when we are here. But if we don't push in the spirit, we don't unlock other levels of glory. And it's such a blessing when the glory of God comes down. But how many of you know that there can also be judgment in that environment? There's not a motivational session. We're not like the modern day preachers and so on who just want to motivate you and pump you up and so on. We're old school gospel preachers who go to the word of God. Amen. We're not going to say things to tickle your ears so that you can just have a nice time and we can, we can be crowd pullers. We're not, we're not driven by that. Amen. Say to the person next to you, old school is good. D, prayer involves listening to what God wants to say. And it's called listening prayer. So pray, you speak to God, but you also listen. You know, a lot of times people have grown up in environments where they say, you know, I'm praying. But throughout their time of prayer, they're the only person talking. Your marriage won't survive if it's only one person who talks. Are you hearing me this morning? Your marriage won't survive if it's only one person who talks and the other person is trying to listen, but can't. It's not sustainable. It has to be two-way. It has to be mutual. You know what I find amazing about Jesus? It says that I only do what I see my father doing. And you know what I find amazing? At what point did Jesus see what the father was doing? Was it when Jesus was trying to do things himself and then he looked and he saw what's the father doing right now? Or was it in Jesus' times of prayer at the start of the day? I think a lot of what Jesus saw the father doing was during his own times of prayer. What's my father doing today? What's his strategy for the day? And then he would track with what the father is doing. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where blessing is in our lives. Not when I go ahead and I do my own thing and I want God to stamp his approval on what I'm doing. Blessing happens where I do what I've already seen my father doing. 
When do I see what the Father is doing? It's in those times of communion with Father God. Amen? So who provides the greatest example of prayer? It's Jesus. He's our model when it comes to prayer. And what is interesting, I'm going to share with you some things that Jesus did. A, Jesus often withdrew from the multitudes to spend time alone with the Father. And we see this in Luke 5, verse 15 to 16. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he did these great miracles, but what does it go on to say? It says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Can you see the link between the miracles and Jesus withdrawing? So he himself often withdrew. It was a lifestyle. Some years back, I went into a time of having personal prayer crusades, and I was praying for long hours, and I was quite proud of myself. And I remember the Lord speaking to me, and he said, Paul, don't judge your spirituality by your peaks. Judge your spirituality by your lifestyle. Because many of us think we are prayer warriors because of the once-off. You're a prayer warrior because of your lifestyle. B, Jesus liked to pray early in the morning. Mark 1 verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. This is so powerful. I want to encourage you, don't label yourself as, I'm not a morning person. Many people have done that. They said, oh, no, no, I'm a, I'm a night owl. I'm not an early morning person. And then they have, start having babies. What happens? They become very quickly an early morning person. Okay? It's important for us to be flexible in terms of possibility in our lives. One of the things about human beings, we have the power to aspire. In other words, I can say to myself, I want to work on this discipline in my life. This is my five-year plan, and I can do it. Last time I checked, my Labrador, Max, didn't come to me and say, Here, Paul, here's my five-year plan. Animals can't do that, but we can. We can make a decision when we can say, I'm going to start getting up early in the morning. I'm going to train my body to do so. Come on, many of you have done that. Maybe you were an entrepreneur and you could wake up late. Then all of a sudden you got an eight to five job that's maybe 100 Ks away. What happens? What time do you have to wake up? So you can wake up early because you've got a job that you don't want to lose. But you can't wake up early to pray. There's already a problem there, isn't there? If your boss says to you, yeah, the whole of next week we're doing early morning meetings uh, at 7 a.m. And you, you work in Joburg CBD and you need two hours to get to work. All of a sudden your sleep pattern will change. Your alarm clock, you'll change it from 7 a.m. to 5 a.m. Amen? So if we can do it because of external pressure, why can't we be like Jesus and make that decision where it says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. You can do a study, you can go, you can Google Middle East, daylight, what time does the sun rise? A long while before, you can do the maths. Amen? He went out and departed to a solitary place. In other words, he was by himself, and there he prayed. Why is it good to pray early in the morning? Why is it good to do so? 
shapes your day. It sets the tone for your day. Amen? I know it's not always easy. I know many of you have got all sorts of duties and so on, right? But it's good to get at least some of your prayer time in early in the morning if you want to be like Jesus. Amen? All right. See, at times Jesus spent all night in prayer, especially when he had important decisions to make. Say to the person next to you, duration counts. One of the problems I have with modern day Christians and modern day Christianity, people like to justify their carnal nature. And they say, no, it's not about how long you pray, guys. It's about the quality of the prayer. That's fine if you, pray, if you do pray for a long time. You get what I'm saying, right? But if you don't pray for an extended period of time and you're always preaching that, no, 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 it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Maybe you're making an excuse for your prayerlessness. Amen? Because let me tell you something. If my wife wants to spend time with me and I keep saying, it's not about quantity, it's just about the quality. So honey, let's have a quick call. She'll have a problem with that. Amen? There's a place for the quick call. Don't know whether to use this example or not. Are we all grown-ups here? This next one. For some people, and I'm used to speaking to couples, so I'll just do it, all right? But for some people, in their sexual intimacy, quickies are their staple in their marriage. You get what I'm saying? But how many of you would want to be in a marriage and you just have quickies only? Why is everyone looking at me with a straight face? <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm, try, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to explain a principle here. That when you're relating to God, you can't just have, oh, okay, Lord, yeah, oh, okay, Lord, yeah. That's something you build on a foundation of duration. Because there's certain things that only happen in prayer after some time. Because it takes time to quieten down your soul. Amen? When, it, when we talk about groaning in the spirit, you don't just uh, quick five minutes and then you begin to groan in the spirit and push through certain barriers. Sometimes there's a build-up before you get to that place. Are you following this morning? That's why Jesus said, could you not tarry an hour? Do you remember when he said that to his disciples? He says, guys, could you not tarry an hour? And remember, he was actually speaking to people who weren't yet born again. The disciples weren't yet born again. Jesus had not yet risen from the dead. Could you not tarry an hour? So we see that Jesus, before he made certain important decisions, like identifying who the apostles were going to be, what did he do? He had a personal all-night prayer. My question to you this morning is, are there certain decisions that you have made without extended periods of prayer? Are there certain decisions that you have made without extended periods of seeking God's will and seeking God's face?
and so powerful. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Ladies, married women here, present here, how many of you enjoy extended dates with your spouse? How many of you would be okay throughout the year just having speed dates? You know, like speed dating. I know some of you have been to those things, right? How many of you would want to just have speed dates with your spouse? No one. So Father God longs for intimacy with us. And he wants us to talk to him throughout the day, but that can't be the staple. Amen? When you talk to God throughout the day, you are building on the foundation you have where you are relating to him for extended periods of time. Amen? Do you know what requires a lot of prayer and what doesn't? Many people pray about things that they don't need to pray about. And they don't pray about things that they actually need to pray about a lot. There's some things in scripture where the Bible says you don't need to actually pray about that. No, don't even worry about that. It's taken care of. And then there are other things that require us to have extended engagement with the living God. My question to you this morning is, are you praying about what you need to pray about? D, Jesus' prayer life aroused the desire for prayer among the disciples. In Luke 11 verse 1, we see that. Where they see him praying and then they ask, can you teach us to pray? Could you say that your prayer life is stirring up others to pray? Just reflect, pause, selah, think about it. Is your prayer life right now how you pray? Is it stirring up prayer in those around you? Is how you pray right now stirring up prayer in your children? Are your children being ignited to pray because they see how you pray? Are your children one day going to say, the reason why I'm such a prayer warrior is every day I would see my dad or I would see my mom praying? So many people who are strong in prayer today, they'll say, I learned how to pray from my grandmother. And that's why it's important, ladies and gentlemen, that we, we don't do small baby prayers for our children. Sometimes it's important for your kids to see you praying aggressively, to see what you're doing, because prayer is not just taught, it's also caught. And when we want to grow in our prayer lives, it's good for us to link up with people who are prayerful. Sometimes when you're praying, it's useful just literally playing something from YouTube where someone is actually also praying and it ignites that in you. Amen? That's why I'd encourage you to use my crafted prayers that we've got on YouTube. Those are resources that you can use to ignite. Amazing testimonies are coming out. How many of you have got testimonies from that, from doing that? Okay, some people have shared with me they've got powerful testimonies. All right? There's a lot of stuff that is available, a lot of resources where you're hearing someone else praying and it ignites prayer in you. 
And that's why the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So John taught his disciples to pray, and Jesus also taught his disciples to pray. Very often, Jesus would only do certain teachings in response to questions. If you want Jesus to teach you certain things, ask him. Amen? My watch is saying I must move. It's one of those watches. It's probably right. <laughs> e, Jesus included others in key times of prayer. In Luke 9, verse 28 to 29, it says, Now it came to pass... About eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, this is very powerful, this phrase, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. How many of you know that there are certain things that only happen when you're praying? There are certain things that only happen when you are praying. It says Jesus, his robe became white and glistening. His face, the appearance of his face was altered. But it happened as he prayed. Very often we just think of the transfiguration and we talk so much about it. We say then Moses and Elijah appeared. But it happened as he prayed. And what's so powerful about this is he got James with him and he got Peter with him. He's got, got John with him. And if you look at their prayer lives, if you look in the book of Acts and you see how Peter prayed and fasted. If you look at John and the amount of revelation he got, I believe that they caught something of prayer from Jesus. Jesus included them in that inner circle. If Jesus prayed on key occasions. Are there certain key occasions in your life where God is saying you need to actually pray, but you're not? Firstly, we see this, and you'll see the scriptures uh, when you look at the notes, but in the context of his baptism, Jesus prayed. On the Mount of the Transfiguration, Jesus prayed. Prior to his leaving earth, Jesus prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. On the cross, Jesus prayed. There were key moments, key things that were happening around him, and he consecrated those moments to the Lord, to Father God, by prayer. Are there key moments about to take place in your life right now? Are you praying in those contexts? G, Jesus' entire earthly walk was marked by prayer. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 8. It's very powerful. It says, who, talking about Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So when Jesus was praying, he was passionate when he was praying. He wasn't just silent. Can you see that? It says, with supplications, with vehement cries and tears, Jesus prayed, and the Father God heard him. So I want to encourage you to develop the discipline of prayer. And how many of you know that prayer is a habit, prayer is a discipline? Amen? I still remember I was at boarding school, 
And I remember when I got saved when I was 12 years old. And I remember at boarding school, we had rest period. How many of you remember that at boarding school? You'd go and you'd eat lunch and then you had rest. How many of you went to boarding school? How many of you had rest period after eating? Or did you just go and do random things? Anyway, I went to a boarding school where you had about an hour rest after eating lunch. And I still remember myself, those were the times when I would go and I would read the word. I remember I had a good news Bible. And all over, it was just written all over, written all over, written all over. And then from there, um, on weekends, we would go and I would preach. I would do Bible studies with groups of friends out in the bush. Right? But I had so much revelation. But you know what? It probably wouldn't have happened if we didn't have that rest period. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? If we didn't have that rest period where we're not allowed to do anything, you either read while you're lying on your bed or you pray or you do what you need to do, but you had to be on your bed. I want to encourage you if you want to create a culture of prayer in your family. I want to encourage you, have periods where people can't do anything else. It's quiet time. Amen? It's quiet time. It's forced quiet time. Sometimes when testosterone levels get very high in my household, my wife and I will instill forced quiet time. We'll say, guys, just go to your rooms. Go to your rooms. Read. Have devotions. When did you last have your devotions? Have your devotions. Just read. It's just quiet. No screen time. Nothing. But how many of you know that when that happens, after a while you like, I'm like, I love, the house is very quiet. I wonder what the kids are doing. Are you following this morning? I want to encourage you to do that in your life. You see, I want my children to know that the breakthroughs that we've experienced as a family is because someone was praying. I never want them to think it's because mom or dad are so talented get what I'm saying, right? And so they have to be exposed to your prayer life to know that we haven't yet got this breakthrough. But the reason we're going to get that breakthrough is because we were praying. So that they make the connection in their head. I've, I've been so proud of my son Samuel because he's now got that connection in his head when it comes to giving. Very often, he'll want something. And I'll say to him, you'll have to use your own money for that. Pocket money or birthday money, right? And then he immediately will say, no, no, then it's okay, then it's okay. Then I'm thinking to myself, didn't you really want this thing? So it's quite precious to him. But the other day, he's got, a, he's got a jar full of money. And I don't know what he had heard my wife and I talking about the building fund or something. And he was just like, I want to give to the building fund. Okay, so how do I do it? Yeah, but there are lots of coins also. Okay. And then he put it into... Um, what is it called? Those cling, not cling wrap, Ziploc bags and so on. And he brought it to church for the building fund. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But you can see there's a revelation he's got. Now I know he's going to be a very strong entrepreneur. He's just passionate about making money, doing business. But I'm glad that he's balancing it with a revelation around being a kingdom financier. Are you hearing me? From a young age. I'm tired of people talking about the empires they want to build and not balancing it by talking about the seed they want to sow. We heard that in the offering message, didn't we? Forced quiet time. So what are the main components of prayer? What does prayer consist of? Do you want to know? 
I want to share with you five principal components of praying. The first is praising God for who he is. My wife loves this. Praising God for who he is. Do you know why that's so powerful? To start off your time of prayer by praising God, you are reminding yourself of who he is. Because you see, when I begin to meditate on his goodness, on his greatness, on his majesty, on his sovereignty, when I begin to meditate on those things, it affects the type of prayers that I pray afterwards. Amen? You see, people make the mistake of going into times of prayer without having first had a revelation of how big God is. So you pray small prayers because you haven't reminded yourself of his greatness. When you start off your prayer time by praising him, you're reminding yourself of his greatness. So this is where we rehearse back to God his awesome attributes, his excellent greatness. I encourage you to use the Psalms and to actually pray the word using the Psalms. Get Psalms that speak of praising God and his greatness and his majesty and make them your own. And start off all your prayer times like that. It's extremely powerful. In Psalm 145, verse 1 to 3, it says, I will extol you, my God. O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I was praying this this morning, and I was like, Lord, your greatness is unsearchable. You can just unpack that. Lord, your greatness is unsearchable. We cannot, we, we cannot find it. We cannot come to a conclusion about your greatness. It's unsearchable. <laughs> Amen? We'll never be able to box God and quantify how great he is. It's unsearchable, his greatness. So powerful. Okay? B, thanking God for what he has done. So we start off by praising him for who he is. And then the second dimension is we thank him for what he has done. If you look throughout scripture, it never just says pray. It's got other things added to pray. It says watch and pray. It says pray with thanksgiving. One of the reasons why a lot of our prayers aren't answered is we don't mix prayer with thanksgiving. I'm going to teach that on the, in the school of advanced prayer. There's a message I'm already preparing. I've been marinating on it for some time. Pray that gets results. And one of the things that stops us from getting results in our prayers is we don't mix the prayer with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Psalm 100, verse 4 to 5, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So that's the protocol, isn't it? That's the power of thanksgiving. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It doesn't say enter his gates with petition. Everyone following, right? It doesn't say enter his gates with petition. So the first thing I do when I'm coming to prayer is I must praise God and I must give him thanks before I start making my requests. There's a protocol to it. And goes on to say, be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. Can you see his nature? 
If you don't have a revelation of the goodness of God, it will affect how you pray. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Isn't that powerful? Okay? It affects how we pray. There's a confidence I have when I've meditated on his goodness. There's going to be a powerful lesson that my wife is going to teach um, a bit later on in this series on the goodness of God. Many times people are striving in their prayers, thinking they have to twist God's arm to get things from him. He's a good God, ladies and gentlemen. Say to the person next to you, God is good. And if the person next to you is Nigerian, say, God is good, though. <laughs> Paul and Agnes, I was just connecting with you guys. You know what I'm saying? I was just feeling you guys. All right? Amen. E. No, I'm not an E. C. Asking God for things that we need. Can you see where it comes? After praise, after thanksgiving. In 1999, I went to a particular nation. There was lots of intercession happening, but the prayers weren't being answered. I remember saying, Lord, why aren't these prayers being answered? And he says, they're praying. He said to me, they're praying, but they're not praying my way. I thought to myself, but these guys are so enthusiastic. These guys are on another level. It's not just about praying. It's praying according to God's protocol. There's a way my son can ask me for something and he gets results. There's another way he asks me for it and he will never get the result he wants. You know that, don't you? It's the same with God. It's the same with God. Don't think you can just babble anything you want against his protocol and his pattern and so on, and it's automatic like this, because God sees my heart. God doesn't bless ignorance. Bible tells us in Hosea, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. doesn't say they perish for no knowledge at all, for a lack of knowledge. So we might perish because we don't know enough about prayer. Amen? So we can ask God for the things that we need. The book of James talks about this and actually tells us that you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we, we think, but why didn't God do this for me? Why didn't God do that for me? Did you ask? And were you specific in your request? If my son comes to me and says, Dad, I just want something nice for my birthday. I will say back to him, just tell me what you want. Have you decided what you want? For Samuel's 13th, just recently, he wasn't too sure for a while. He was like, so what do you think? What do you think, Dad? Mom, what do you guys think I should get for my birthday? What do you guys think? <laughs> Sometimes God just wants to hear you being specific. That's what a petition is. A petition is a specific request. And some of you, your view of Father God is such that you struggle with being specific. Because you think, oh no, I'm being proud. Oh no, like, ah, oh, but God is the one who knows. So Lord, your will, your will be done. Very often when we just say, Lord, your will be done, often we don't say that as a prayer of consecration. Often we say that because we're into instant prayers and we're not taking time to seek him out concerning what his will is. 
The job of prayer is seeking God out concerning his will. Once you're clear about his will, you then pray a strong prayer of petition. Amen? Otherwise, we're double-minded. Bible tells us that a double-minded person, a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways and should not expect to receive something from the Lord. We need to be people of petition. This is where you pray something according to God's will and according to God's promises. And we see this in Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of you have got requests? Let your requests be made known to God. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? Because you'll be like thinking, but surely he already knows all my requests. It's a spiritual mystery here. Those requests that God already knows need to still be made known to him. And that's why it's good to write them out, to be very clear. Otherwise, you'll find yourself, one day you are praying for this. Next day, it's now slightly different. And God is like, we were already working on that thing you prayed for yesterday. Now you've remixed it and you want this version of it. Heaven is confused. I'm telling you right now. You see, God has given the power to us. God has made a decision that, you know what? You guys have dominion. And the things that are going to happen on earth are going to happen because of you guys. Either through your deeds or your prayers. So on purpose, God has tied his hands. And for me, the breakthrough in understanding the power of prayer, the breakthrough came when I realized that God's hands are tied, that he's made a decision that I'm only going to do things on earth in response to prayer. If we don't pray, it won't happen. And you can say, but Lord, you are sovereign, you are mighty. Why didn't you make a plan? He says, didn't you see my plan? You were my plan. Your prayers were my plan. In James 4, verse 2 to 3, it says, You desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Can I just help you very quickly? God wants you to enjoy life. But the Bible tells us that we should not, and this is how the scripture says it, do not put your hope in uncertain riches. Right? But rather put your hope in God who provides richly for your enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy life, but he wants you to put your trust in him. So when it comes to prayers of petition, motive is important. He wants you to ask, but he wants you to ask with the right motive. So if you're saying to yourself, I want to have this wonderful empire, I want to build this one, and your focus is just on your own pleasure, you've already disqualified that prayer from being answered by God. Because the Bible says here very clearly, you, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
One of the biggest reasons why our prayers are not being answered today is our motives. So my job is to make sure my heart is pure and my motives are right. Amen? Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So does God want to add things to us? Of course he does. He's a loving father. What's my job? To seek first his kingdom. Anyone who wants to be a kingdom financier, anyone who wants to be a wealthy business person should be spending time figuring out, okay, seeking first God's kingdom. What does that look like? Amen? D, we're talking about the components of prayer. Confessing our sins to God and asking for his mercy. In Psalms 32, verse 5 to 6, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity. I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to, God, to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near to him. This is such a powerful scripture. So the fourth dimension of our prayers should be confession. Let me just say something. If you are praying a lot, but there's no brokenness produced by your prayer, then there's a problem with your prayer. Prayer that doesn't produce brokenness in a person is hypocrisy. Can I say that again? Prayer that doesn't produce brokenness in a person is hypocrisy. If you say, I'm spending this many hours praying and seeking God's face, but you're still coming out the same proud person that you've always been, then your prayer is hypocrisy. And then the fifth dimension of prayer is sharing our heart with God concerning our destiny and our innermost desires. For many people, they share very deeply with their sisters, with their brothers, with their cousin brothers, with their cousin sisters, but they don't know how to share deeply with God. And they don't know how to share deeply with God because in their minds and in their psyche, they cannot be intimate with authority. If you grew up in a family where you're told children must be seen, not heard. If you grew up in a family where you can't talk to your own father about girls you like or boys you like. Now when we say to you, have you prayed about that relationship? If you like some people I've asked that question to, they laugh, they start giggling. He praying, he praying about relationship. Yeah, I've never prayed about a relationship. So you come to us and you say, let's pray about that business deal. But you can't pray about a relationship. Are you, are you following? I've, I've seen it even in this church, the way people relate to pastors. They'll come and they'll talk about, yeah, pastor, can you pray for me, please? Oh, they use an American accent, by the way. Yeah, pastor, can you pray, please, for me? Uh, I've got a business deal coming up. Yeah, I need this breakthrough. But they get into relationships, but we never know about it. What's more important, the business deal or the relationship? What's more important, the business deal or a future spouse? Why can't you talk about that? 
Amen? Ask yourself, are there certain things that I struggle to pray about? Because in my psyche, in relating to God as Father, I don't think I can have that intimate conversation with Him because I never had that with my earthly father. That's something that needs to be broken off this continent. Amen? It needs to be broken off this continent because you find a lot of people on the African continent, they only know how to pray about, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. Discipline issues. And Lord, please provide for me provision. Why? They only knew their earthly fathers as provider and disciplinarian. Is everyone following? What attitudes need to be involved when it comes to our prayer lives? This is so important, and it's a powerful checklist of five things. A, we should pray in faith. Sometimes it's good to actually build up faith and get into the word of God concerning a particular thing and then pray. Instead of starting to pray when you're not in faith. Because that's a wasted prayer and it's a waste of time. And you start getting into the flesh because you start thinking, but Lord, I've prayed how many hours concerning that thing? Lord convicted me of this. Because I was praying for extended periods of time concerning certain things and the Lord said, when you come to me, I will hear you not because of the duration, but I'll hear you because you're praying in faith. God responds to faith. Because sometimes when our confidence is in how long we've prayed, we get into the flesh. Amen? We get into the flesh and our mindset is, but Lord, all those days I prayed about that stuff. He says, but were you in faith? Did you pray believing me that I will do this particular thing? That's why Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. B, we should come humbly before the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. You see, many people do only one of these four or five things. So many people say, but Lord, I'm praying and I'm seeking your face. But question, have you turned from your wicked ways? Have you turned from your wicked ways? Can I go there? Don't just pray and not turn from your wicked ways. He won't hear you. It doesn't just say pray and seek my face. It says, if my people who are called by my name, so are you born again? Yes. Are you called by his name? Yes. If they will humble themselves. The Bible says no flesh can boast in my presence. So one of the things I'm trying to be careful about is that when I'm in God's presence in prayer, my flesh is not boasting. I'm not going into prayer with that confidence of, yes, Lord, I gave so much and I did this and I've been a good husband. Therefore, you will hear my prayers. Uh-uh. Humble yourself. The power of my prayers is because I'm in Christ Jesus and I'm praying in his name, not my own name. The moment you slip into looking at all your deeds and how good you've been and all the wonderful things you've done, you are now praying in your own name. Because it's based on what you've done, not on what Jesus has done. Amen? And by the way, with that scripture, when it says, if my people would humble themselves, when you study that in scripture, it's not just talking about humility as an attitude of the heart. 
Throughout the Old Testament, how would they humble themselves? It was through fasting. It was through sackcloth, um, sackcloth and mourning. Mourning over their own sin and the sin of others. That's how they would humble themselves. Go and read. Go and study in Scripture. So ask yourself, to what extent am I going before God and am I grieved concerning the sin in this nation? To what extent am I going before God and I'm just saying, Lord, you're so great and you're so mighty, but we have sinned against you as a people and we've done our own thing and you're mourning and you're so grieved concerning that. Ask yourself about that. And I think it's so powerful when we have this type of revelation. A lot of people are praying but not repenting. See, we should come desiring God's will. We should come desiring God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked for of him. That's so powerful. So my job is to seek God concerning what his will is and then to pray in faith his will and I get results. D, we should come with pure motivation and we've spoken about our motivation quite a bit, haven't we? And then E, we should come without hypocrisy. When you grow in prayer, the temptation is to tell everyone how much you pray so that they see how spiritual you are, right? But then if you do that, it means you want your reward from man, not from God. In Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What's that reward? Their reward is the praise from people. That's their reward. They've already received it in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what are some important considerations if prayer is to become a reality in our lives? We're now talking about the discipline of prayer. And I want to land this by sharing with you three major things that you should include in your prayer life. A, a quiet place. A quiet place. For Jesus, it was the wilderness. It was the wilderness for Jesus. For the men of old, it was the personal altar that they had. Noah had his altar. And you'll see the scriptures if you, if you download this. Abraham had his altar. Jacob had his altars, plural. <laughs> Moses had his altar. Joshua had his altar. Gideon has, had his altar. Samuel had his altar. David had his altar. Solomon had his altar. Elijah had his altar on Mount Carmel. Altar is an interesting word. It literally means a place of sacrifice. And how many of you know that you can have a prayer altar at home? And you know what the sad thing is nowadays? A lot of people in their homes, 
They've got a bar full of alcohol, and it's, it's almost like a shrine, and that becomes the altar. And everyone gathers around there. You know what I'm talking about? You've got other people where the TV is the altar, and it doesn't matter what's there, what filth is there, that becomes the altar. I want to encourage you, find a quiet place that becomes a place where you communicate with God, and if you want to have the discipline of prayer, you're not chopping and changing. You know that this is my closet where I go. It can even be a garage, depending on the size of your house. Some of you have got big houses. Some of you live in one-roomed places. doesn't matter. Find an altar. Find a place where you say, this is where I go to pray. Can I hear an amen? It can be a closet. It can even be a car. Vehicles are good places to pray. Amen? It could be under a tree. It could be an apron. Remember John Wesley's mom? She would put her apron over her head. I don't know exactly how she did it, but she would put the apron over her head and she would pray. And she's got all these kids all around her. Sometimes that's what it is. And I want to encourage you, switch off your phone. The sky won't fall. Switch off your phone. Because if you're trying to pray and you keep hearing this, it's a bit of a problem and it'll be a distraction. So have a quiet place. Secondly, have a quiet time. That quiet time can be in the morning like we see in the life of Jesus. The psalmist encouraged an early morning encounter with God. He said, give ear. This is Psalm 5, verse 1 to 3. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry. My King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. In Psalm 88, verse 13, it says, But to you I've cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Psalm 119, verse 147, it says, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. And then I want to encourage you, develop an appointment with God. If you want to have a daily routine with the Lord, have an appointment and the way you have an appointment that's powerful is come up with a burden to pray for before you've started praying. Maybe the night before, you're already thinking, tomorrow morning, this is on my prayer agenda. It becomes powerful. Amen? I also want to encourage you to have an allocated time in terms of duration that you pray for. You know why? If you're not measuring it, it doesn't become a culture. Please listen to me. If you're not measuring it, it doesn't become a culture. And I know some of you say, no, but it's, it's, it's your relationship with God. It must be organic. It must just flow. Do you know what the thing is about our hearts? Do you know what the thing is about our hearts? You will be praying so hard and you think you've prayed for 30 minutes. And then you look and it's just five minutes. If you're not actually measuring the amount of time of prayer, you'll be deceived thinking I've spent so much time with the Lord, but you've spent so little time with him. Amen. So what I do is I've got an allocated amount of time that I have committed to prayer on a daily basis. I try to do most of it in the early morning. And then the balance of that particular time, I do in the gaps that I have. Sometimes I arrive early for a meeting and I'm like, oh, I've got 
20 minutes before the meeting starts, and then I continue, so that throughout the day, at the end of the day, I've reached my quota. Are you hearing me? And sometimes you can be at places. I remember one time I was waiting for my kids to finish soccer at some soccer trials that they were at. And I remember I was there and I was just under a tree and I was just praying. And who comes up to talk to me? It was you, Kolani. <laughs> Kolani comes up. She, she, she didn't think, she didn't know what I was doing and so on. But I was actually praying. And then she came up and she said, yeah, Pastor Paul. Yeah, and she was telling me about the soccer trials happening and so on. Why are you by yourself here, Pastor Paul? Come through. Then I sort of walked with her a little bit and I quickly snuck back. And I went back to my tree and I was praying. I was finishing my allocated time of prayer. Amen? And then what you do is as you grow in your prayer life, you increase it. You say, this year it was this amount. Next year it will be this amount. Amen? That's very important. So it's a quiet place. It's a quiet time. And then see, it's a quiet mind. It's a quiet mind. What do we mean by a quiet mind? In Psalm 131 it says, Lord, my heart is not haughty nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor things too profound for me. Surely I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. You see, if you don't quieten your soul, you end up praying prayers from a place of anxiety, not from a place of faith. Quiet place, quiet time and a quiet mind. And I'd encourage you to always have a book with you there so that if straight thoughts come about the day and what you have to do, onto paper off the mind. If you don't write it down, you'll be now thinking about it because you're trying not to forget. And finally, as I close, in what realms should prayer be practiced? You practice prayer individually on a daily basis. And we see this in Matthew 6, 5 to 7. It's in secret. You also practice prayer with two or three other people. And that's the prayer of agreement. And many of you have started doing this, where sometimes you'll text me and you'll say, Pastor, can you agree with me concerning this thing? There's power in agreement. And then thirdly, prayer takes place corporately. Takes place corporately when we're together as a church. That's why Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This place must be characterized by prayer. The local church must be a household of prayer. Many churches today are households of entertainment. Amen? Have you got something this morning? Let's pray. Head down. Heads bowed. Shampoo position. Eyes closed. I want to give you a chance this morning... If you feel challenged by this message and you want to overcome prayerlessness in your life, just stand up where you are. I want to pray with you. You want to overcome prayerlessness in your life. I want to pray with you. You feel convicted by this message and you're saying, I need to go to my next level of prayer. Maybe it's the discipline of prayer. Maybe you haven't found a quiet place. Maybe you've judged your prayer life by your peaks and not your routine. Maybe you've been that person who prays a lot, but you haven't turned from your wicked ways. I don't know what category you're in. 
Maybe you're that person who talks a lot to other people. But when it comes to God, you don't. Maybe you're that person who's doing instant everything. But you're not pushing earnestly in prayer. Maybe you've been praying, but you haven't been praying with the right motive. A guy called Dave Newquist once said, Prayerlessness is saying I'm too busy for God. Just repent of this. Prayerlessness is walking in the dark blindfolded. Prayerlessness is the fool saying in his heart, there is no God. Prayerlessness is wasting time you think you have, you think you're actually saving. Prayerlessness is seeing only with the natural eyes. Prayerlessness is presuming upon God's grace and mercy. Prayerlessness is a car with no petrol. Prayerlessness is trusting in your own strength. Prayerlessness is the pride of life. Prayerlessness is counting on someone else to do the praying. Prayerlessness is going into battle without armor or weapons. Prayerlessness is laziness. And prayerlessness is giving into the flesh or self. Just pray this with me, please. Father God, I thank you for this message. I see it as a gift. I ask that you empower me. I ask that you activate me into a new dimension of prayer. I thank you for the grace to pray. Give me the revelation I need so that I may pray effectively. I renounce every lie that I've believed that has stopped me from praying. Forgive me for thinking others will do it for me. Forgive me for thinking that my prayers will never make a difference. Forgive me for thinking that I'm not qualified to pray. Forgive me for relying on my own abilities and talents. Today I thank you for the name of Jesus. I rely on the name of Jesus. I come boldly to the throne of grace. And I ask for your mercy. Give me creative ideas that will take my prayers to another level. In Jesus' mighty name. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the people of God right now. And right now I release a dimension of supplication. And I release and I activate them to new levels of prayer. And I release grace for the discipline of prayer. I thank you God for a new level of prayer in this church. I thank you that we'll pray fervent prayers. That will produce power in this place. I thank you for your grace Lord God in order to do this. May you activate, activate us to a new level. In Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Have you received something from heaven this morning?
Hey, E-Family, Online Family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.